In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. This morning's Old Testament story is a very brief snippet of the story of Jonah. Think back to your days in Sunday school. If you grew up going to Sunday school, you know Jonah as the one who got stuck in a whale. But if you know anything about Bible scholars, the kind who like to tell you that what you learned in Sunday school was wrong, then you may know it wasn't actually a whale that Jonah got stuck in. The Hebrew language doesn't even have a word for whale. It is really a big fish. And the part that we read this morning from Jonah includes what I would characterize as the least lovely or maybe even worst sermon in all of the Bible. Jonah, in this lesson we just heard, preaches to the people of Nineveh, and the sermon is just one sentence. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That is the whole sermon. But it works. That's why I hesitate to call it the worst sermon. Maybe it's the best sermon because it works. This little sentence is all it takes for the whole city to be convinced, to repent, to do what God wants them to do. As a preacher, I have to think if only it were that easy. We never really get to hear the full story of Jonah in our readings we use on Sundays in church. So I thought today would be a good day uh, to, to go back to Sunday school and, and remember what is one of the only truly funny, I think intentionally funny, stories in all of the Bible. So the story of Jonah not just the version with a big blue whale, which I will confess I always kind of get mixed up with Pinocchio, right? Is it Jonah or Pinocchio? Um, but the thing as it appears as its own whole book of the Bible. Jonah is a curmudgeonly little man who for no reason really, God chooses to be a prophet, a preacher. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, a town three days away from where he is. And God tells Jonah to preach to them and get them to repent. Jonah is completely uninterested in this task. And prophets in biblical literature are usually reluctant, but Jonah takes this to a whole new level. He thinks Nineveh is dumb. He has worse problems in Tarshish where he is, and so he adamantly says no way to God. And so this is when God sends the famous big fish, not whale, to swallow Jonah up. And while Jonah is in the big fish, he laments his fate. He really spends the whole time just being annoyed that he is in a big fish. And then the fish spits him out. And this is where we pick up uh, on our story. Um, God tells him a second time to go to Nineveh. And and he reluctantly does it this second time. And he goes there and he says, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Now, very annoyingly to Jonah, this actually works. He, he didn't want it to work. And so in his frustration, this is what Jonah does from the last chapter of Jonah. Jonah goes out of the city and sits down east of the city and makes a booth for himself there. So you can picture him very grumpily sitting alone in a, a little hut he has constructed. He sits under it in the shade, waiting to see what will become of the city. And the Lord appoints a bush to come up over Jonah, to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, the, the Bible says, Jonah is very happy about the bush. This is the first time Jonah's happy. And when dawn comes up the next day, God appoints a worm to attack the bush, and the bush withers, and the sun rises, and God sends a wind to blow the bush away, and the sun beats down on his head, and all of a sudden Jonah is no longer happy. It was very short-lived, his happiness, and now he is faint, and he wants to die. He says, it is better for me to die than to live. And God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this bush? And Jonah says, yes, angry enough to die. And then God says, you are concerned about the bush, but you did nothing to grow it. And it came into being in a night and was gone in a night. Should I, God says, should I not be concerned about Nineveh, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? Yes, who do not know their right hand from their left, but there are 120,000 people and also many animals. And that's the last line of the book of Jonah. That's it. And also many animals. And we don't know what Jonah really makes of this, where Jonah goes next. Um, this town, Nineveh, God admits, is full of 120,000 dummies and also many animals. It's really funny to imagine this grumpy prophet under a bush, and God's point seems to be pretty simple. God is just like, yes, exactly, Jonah. Stuff is terrible. And it's hard because people are actually pretty stupid. But you can be grumpy about it or you can laugh about it and do the best that you can. I do like to imagine that if we got to see the next bit of the story, um, Jonah 2, uh, Jonah would start laughing. Jonah would laugh maybe until his sides hurt that he got swallowed by a big fish, not a whale, and then got spit out and then got grumpy about a bush. But ultimately, his little sermon saved 120,000 people and also many animals. So speaking of big fish and, and funny Bible stories, I have a pretty clear memory um, almost as good as my memory of Jonah, of hearing a sermon about the gospel story this morning. Jesus calling the first disciples, who were fishermen, to drop their nets and follow him. And 
when this sermon happened, I think I was about 10 years old because it was during a phase of childhood where I asked my parents to let me stay in grown-up church so I could listen to the grown-up sermon instead of going to Sunday school with my younger brothers. And each week, I remember trying to uh, listen really hard to what the priest was saying during the sermon. And each week, without fail, a few minutes into it, my mind would wander. And many minutes later, I would realize I hadn't been paying attention at all. So I would try to jump back in and listen to the culmination of the sermon. And then each week over lunch with my family, I would try to keep up as my parents critiqued the sermon. I remember this one particularly because of a, a certain language confusion. During the sermon, the priest repeated this line again and again. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Fish for people. And he, he also kept saying, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean what you think it means. I remember thinking, what, what do I think it means? And then what's the opposite of that, right? What does it mean to be fish for people? And he said in the sermon, Jesus is not talking literally, but Jesus is talking about making you fish for people. Don't get caught up thinking about having to go out with a fishing net. That's not what Jesus is saying. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. So in my head, hearing this take on the passage and, and missing, of course, the middle of the sermon, if Jesus is not talking about going out with a fishing net, and I keep hearing over and over again, I will make you fish for people, what I was picturing was giant human-sized fish. Jesus is going to turn us all into fish. And so I asked my parents, why does Jesus talk about turning us into fish? And of course they laughed. That's not it. My parents said, Jesus doesn't want to make us fish, but fishers. My mother told me the translation used to be, I will make you fishers of men. Of course, we're familiar with this, fishers of men. And the new translation changes it to be more inclusive. More inclusive of women or of fish, I don't know. In thinking about the story this week, I just couldn't shake my initial interpretation that Jesus will turn us into fish for people. And actually, I read the line to my wife, Caitlin, who was not raised going to church and therefore serves as a really good sounding board for scripture with no preconceived notions from misheard sermons during childhood. Follow me and I will make you fish for people, I said. And she said, what are fish for people? See, she's very smart. So I don't think it's so crazy uh, when I was 10 that I thought that might be what we're talking about. What could it mean to be a fish for Jesus instead of someone going out and catching fish in a net? What would it mean to be the fish, the one that is caught and cradled in Jesus' net? After all, in the story, the disciples drop their nets to go follow Jesus. 
If Jesus is making them fishers, you might think they would still need the nets, but they drop them to follow Jesus. And where else do fish show up in the Gospel of Mark? This story is from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the calling of the first disciples. But in the middle of Mark, there is the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish. To be a fish, then, is to be food, to be sustenance, in fact, miraculous sustenance for a community of people who are hungry, who are ready to go and change the world, and who need to be fed. To be a big fish is also, as we see in Jonah, to cradle curmudgeonly little people in our bellies until they are willing to get right with God. So to be called into this fish project is kind of a weird and funny thing. As I was thinking about this story, I was I was sort of taken with my own interpretation so much that Jesus wants us to be fish. I, I thought before I preach about this, I need to actually look at the Greek and make sure I'm not putting something crazy into your heads. And it turns out the Greek word for fisher here is halius, which definitely means fisherman, not fish, but which literally means man of the water, man of the water. So even though Jesus is not using the word for fish, the meaning is different than our idea of a fisherman. Jesus is not giving an imperative to go fish, a to-do list, one more thing to do to be his follower. Instead, Jesus is asking us to be a people of the water, not literally to turn into fish, but to recall the water, our life in and among the water. The waters of baptism we all pass through in our journey as Christians. The entry onto this path of following Jesus that we all take and which the disciples first took here as they dropped their net and, and netless with open hands followed Jesus to the water. The message that Jesus has been preaching that convinces the disciples to do this, to follow him, to be people of water and sustainers of community, is right at the beginning of this story. Its own little sermon, um, a bit more eloquent than Jonah's because it is Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Since we're playing with words today, let's look at this word repent. I think this word has an ethical weight to it and it sounds, it can sound really theological and kind of heavy. You can imagine a preacher pounding the pulpit and demanding an imperative, repent. But the Greek word metanoia is gentler and more hopeful. It means to be changed after being with, to be changed after being with, or to think differently after, to turn. 
To be a disciple of Jesus, to be a people of the water, to be a fish for Jesus is to be changed by the people we are with, to think differently after being with them. And now here is the wild thing about this. As with so many things in life, it's reciprocal. Sometimes we are the fish, and sometimes we are Jonah in the belly of the fish. And even so, whichever one we are, we are never perfect. We are not perfect beings. We are humans, and we are funny, and we're weird, and we're imprecise, and sometimes we zone out during the sermon. So after our thinking about how God finds us and how God wants us to be, I want you to wonder, recalling Jonah and the big fish in your life, what little and maybe even annoying thing is God calling you to do? What thing is eating at you? Maybe because you know you won't really be the best at it, or it seems hard, or you don't want to drop your net. Maybe, like Jonah, you're frustrated with everyone else. Everyone around you is dumb. Anyone ever felt that before? Or everyone else is just not with the program. So you are sitting down in the desert, waiting for a bush to grow up around you instead of getting on with what you know God is calling you to do. Is God calling you to be a big fish, to swallow some people up and love them out of their anger and stubbornness? Or if a big fish swallowed you up today, what would you be forced to contend with while you're in there? Because Nineveh is a lot like the world right now, full of needy people and also a lot of animals. And it needs you. It needs you. We need you to cry out from the center of the city, whatever it is that you know to be true. We need you to be a person of the water, transforming those around you and allowing yourselves to be transformed. Amen.